I'm Dwight Bingham. Welcome to the Justice for All podcast show, where we discuss all things social and criminal justice related, from the front end to the back end, and everything in between. You have a right to remain silent, because anything you say can and will be held against you. You have a right to an attorney. If you cannot afford one, one will be appointed for you. You're in the self-incrimination protection zone, where there is no cruel and unusual punishment, no illegal search and seizure. The exclusionary rule has you covered. So sit back, relax, and become sold on this week's episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Justice for All podcast show. I'm DeWitt Bingham, your host. Thank you for tuning in to the show that discusses all things social justice and criminal justice, where the goals are to inform you, the American citizen, of your constitutional rights, provide educational and occupational guidance to high school and college students, and to be a voice for change. I'm excited about today's show because today we have a special topic. As you very well know, this podcast primarily is a social justice and criminal justice podcast. But today we are going to venture outside the realm of those systems just a bit. However, there is a correlation that can be made between our topic today, autism, and the criminal justice system. So without any further ado, I introduce to some and present to others, Mr. Michael Merrick and Ms. Angela Bingham. Welcome to the show, good people. Angela, how you doing? I'm really blessed, DeWitt. Thank you so much for having us today. Michael, how are you today? I'm doing wonderful. And, you know, I know it's a little bit rainy out there today, but you know what? We're excited about this coming weekend. I got a lot to share with you. Wonderful. Well, as I mentioned, the title of today's show is What is Autism? Full disclosure, one of today's guests is my first cousin. Her mom and my mom were twin sisters. Anna Mae Bingham, our grandmother, had five children, two sets of twins, two sets of female twins, and one son, the best uncle on this side of glory. So let's get right into it. Segment one, Michael and Angela, is for the educational and occupational guidance of high school and college students. We accomplished this by having our guests introduce themselves. So if you would, tell the audience where you were born and raised, what high school you attended, where you attended college or your military background, service, or any type of training that you have, and then briefly tell the audience the current career that you have. We'll begin with you, Angela. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Angela Bingham Walker. I was born and raised in Festus, Missouri. I uh, went to Festus High School. From there, I went to Merrimack Community College and got a degree in physical therapy and went on to uh, uh, Missouri Baptist University and have a bachelor's degree in social services. I'm a U- United States Navy veteran, and currently I work with veterans and seniors in social services for health care and all kinds of other activities. That's right. You was, on the, you was on the water, wasn't you, Angie? Yes, sir. Love the water. Still love the water. Wonderful. Okay, Michael? Yes, thank you, DeWitt. Yeah, Michael Merrick. Uh, I was born right here in St. Louis, Missouri. 
I went to high school at uh, St. Charles High School. That's the home of the Pirates. And I went to college at Webster University right here in St. Louis. Got a degree in uh, communication. Shortly thereafter, I went into the nonprofit industry. I had positions with the MS Society, American Diabetes Association, and now recently, I'm currently the executive director for Autism Speaks right here in St. Louis. Wonderful. That is amazing. All right. We have two experts today that are going to talk to us about autism and the event that they have coming up in the St. Louis area. So segment two, constitutional rights. Segment two is to inform the American public of their constitutional rights. But before I asked you to tell us what your favorite constitutional right is and why, and maybe a constitutional right that might be somewhat related to or what you think might be most related to autism. Let's remind the audience that today's episode is entitled, What is Autism? And so to start the discussion off, I thought the most obvious question would be, what is autism? We can start with you, Michael. Let's start with you. Absolutely. I, I get this question a lot. And, you know, uh, autism is a spectrum disorder. And what we refer to, why we refer to it as a spectrum disorder is that there's a range of conditions characterized basically by challenges with social skills. Some folks have repetitive behaviors and also some have speech and, or, or even nonverbal in their communication. So, and then the severity of those conditions vary from one person to the next. We've got individuals on the spectrum um, that are very high functioning and those that are less functioning and need more support. So that kind of defines, you know, what is autism. Wonderful. Angela, what would you add to that? I would add that um, because uh, we're on different spectrums, I actually have a son that's affected by autism. And he was uh, most of the time, if you get uh, the diagnosis at an early age, they can be helped and have a simple of a a normal life. Most of my son Jarrell's condition, he doesn't talk very much and he also has repetitive actions like Michael says. He's, uh, he doesn't do much eye contact and he uh, has behaviors that go over and over again and doesn't like change. Wonderful. And Jarrell, my cousin, is how old now? He's 30 years old now. Okay, very good. And I would just add that in my research, It says that it was a developmental disorder, not a mental illness in the traditional sense, though listed in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, DSM-5, a handbook used by healthcare professionals to diagnose mental health conditions. Autism is classified as a, as you guys put it, neurodevelopmental disorder. Next question I want to ask you, though, is why autism is is believed to be a mental illness. Angie? Uh, I believe it's to be a mental illness because it affects uh, the brain and also affects behavioral issues. So that's why it can can be considered a mental illness, I believe. And Michael, what would you add to that? Well, I I would agree with what Angela said. I think a lot of people have that misconception because it is, you know, it does affect the, the, the brain and the way that 
people react. For instance, you know, we have individuals that are sensitive to light and, and many of them are sensitive to sound, but it's not a mental disorder. It is, like you had mentioned, a developmental disorder. Wonderful, Michael. And what I, I would just add that I found, too, that the question of why autism is believed to be a mental illness is that it often comes up because people with autism are at a greater risk for developing mental health problems and characteristics of autism overlap with certain mental illnesses. As a result, autism is often not only incorrectly believed to be a mental illness, but misdiagnosed as one. Would you agree with that? Yes, yes I would. I, I would agree. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. And uh, furthermore, in terms of treatment of mental illness and autism, while there can be and often are people who have autism and a mental health concern, developmental disorders and mental illnesses are defined, treated, and managed very differently. Is is what I found to be the case. Uh, okay. So, what are some common conditions among people with autism? And you guys may alluded to some of those. Can you think of what some common conditions yeah. are, Michael? Yeah, sure. Some of, some of the more common conditions are those social challenges or with social skills. Like Angela had mentioned, eye contact. I actually have a granddaughter that's on the spectrum. She's 12 years old, and her name is Riley. And uh, many times, she doesn't make eye contact with the person that's speaking with her. Okay. Also, she's always something we, I did mention before. She's a flight risk, you know, so we have to, you know, keep an eye on her because she might wander in a store or uh, if you're out in a, in a park or, or somewhere. And then again, some individuals are sensitive to, you know, light and sound. And um, those are some of the, the, the the more common characteristics. In fact, when we start talking about the, the law that's coming up this Saturday, we don't have a lot of loud clapping and noises. We try to limit the loud noises just just for those individuals that'll be there that day that are sensitive to sound. So those are some of the more common, you know, characteristics of individuals on the spectrum. But like I said, it's a, it's a spectrum disorder, so it's going to range. It's going to vary uh, very much. Okay. While we're on that subject, uh, Michael, Angie, can you talk a little bit about the walk, if, if you do know any history behind it and how long it has existed and what actually will take place? From my records that, I, that we have, and I know that the organization was formed back in 2005, and uh, St. Louis has one of the longest running walks because there was actually some uh, families of individuals on the spectrum that started the walk before Autism Speaks was actually uh, an organization. So we're, we're assuming, you know, based on the first walk being in 2005, we're looking at like this would be our 18th year, I guess. Um, for for the walk, um, and uh, it is just go ahead. I'm sorry, Angela. Actually, we started before Autism Speaks with a program here in St. Louis was called NAR. Yeah, and be our 20th anniversary. We participated. Jarrell's Joy Walkers have participated in all the walks. So this is our 20th yeah. anniversary. Yeah. So I, I knew there was there was some um, you know getting together these families prior to Autism Speaks being like I said an organization. So thanks for for correcting me on that. But I 
and I know it's, you know, what's interesting is several of those families like Angela's family and Jarrell are still involved in that walk 20 years later. It's just amazing. That's wonderful, it's, man. Go ahead, Angie. Yeah, it's amazing because we have we've had uh, our church organization has been in it all 20 years. And we've uh, Jarrell knows each uh, fall when he gets out the orange shirt that says his name. He's excited about it and knows what it's all about. Is there anything else you want to add about the walk or autism speaks? Yeah, I mean, uh, let me. uh, Yeah, Michael, please. Specific. It's this Saturday. okay, October the 7th. And we're going to be. It's Forest Park. Everybody knows where Forest Park is. We're going to be in the Upper Muni parking lot. The registration will open up that morning at 8.30. And um, at at 8.30, the event will open up. And you will have a lot of opportunity for a lot of families. This is a lot of times their first connection to our organization. And what they're going to see when they come to an event like this is they're going to see a lot of resources that are available to them in the St. Louis community. In fact, that's one of the ways my family first became involved with Autism Speaks um, back in 2019 after my granddaughter was diagnosed. We were looking for a dentist and we came to the walk and lo and behold, we found a, a dentist that was there. So that's the, 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 the great thing about this event is you can come to this event and see all of the resources that are available. Because, you know, there's a lot of families out there that get this diagnosis and don't know where to turn. They, they don't have answers to a, a, probably a million questions. And, and trust me, I've been there personally. Angela's been there. And Autism Speaks provides an event like this where we will have our service providers. These are companies that provide specific services to the autism community right here in St. Louis. So you can talk to those folks and get information. And then on top of that, we're going to have lots of, of fun activities going on, interactive areas. You know, we've got Fred Bird coming out from 830 to 9. Fred Bird will be uh, at our event. We also have the Bubble Bus. Everybody's familiar with Bubble Bus here in St. Louis. Um, and then we have lots of carnival games. It's just going to be a lot of fun. A lot of it. it, It's about community. It's about bringing the autism community together, and it just reassures you to let you know that you're not alone in this journey. That's just wonderful. I mean, who doesn't like Fred Bird? Come on now. I I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) Y'all know I've been a St. Louis Cardinal fan for all sixty-two years, sixty-one years of my life. Please, yes, sir. All right. Very good. Okay. To keep true to my audience, I just have a couple of questions that are somewhat indirect or directly related. And I just want to get you guys' opinion on it. All right. If I might add, just before you ask your question. Okay. I want to give everybody on your podcast where to get more information on the walk. And that's simply going to our website, autismspeaks.org. And then just type in St. Louis Walk, and that will take you right to our landing page. And you can register for the event ahead of time, so you don't have to deal with all that on the on Saturday morning. And again, you'll get a lot more information. I just wanted to share that. Again, it's autismspeaks.org. All right. So I want to ask, because I'm a criminal justice professional, I was a probation officer for 35 years, and I've been teaching. I'm a criminal justice professor. And so... I want to ask you guys, 
your opinion. Is there anything that a parent can do to prepare their autistic child for police contact? Frequency of police interaction of autistic people. A 2017 study out of the A.J. Drexel Autism Institute found that about 20 percent of youth with autism had been stopped and questioned by the police by the age of 21 and close to 5 percent had been arrested. In a 2019 York University study, 75 percent of adults with autism had at least one police interaction in their life. Fifty three percent of adults reported four or more police interactions Although the research is limited, it does suggest the odds are good that a person with autism will have a police encounter at some point in their life. And it went on to state an autistic person can some things that they can do. Don't make sudden moves, which you guys have said that that's part of as part of autism. From what I understand, Mm -hmm. use calm strategies, Mm -hmm. disclose that you will have autism and other related conditions, i.e. ADHD or Tourette syndrome, wear a medical alert. If you get confused, reiterate you want to comply. So what's your guys' thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I just want, I want to add to, to that. And it's kind of interesting that you, you bring this angle up uh, with, the, with the police. We are actually doing some training with at the St. Louis Police Academy later this month. Wonderful. Um, and, and, and we're going to be working with them, training them on emergency interactions with individuals with autism. So it's kind of ironic that you brought that up. And I was like, wait a second. I, I looked at my calendar. I said, yeah, here it is. On Wednesday the 18th, we will be at the St. Louis Police Academy training their, their cadets on how to interact with folks on the spectrum. I, and I think that goes a, a lot to be said. I think, I think you know, it goes a long way, the, the policing in, in St. Louis. That is awesome, man. Angie, would, what would you add to that? Uh, I would add to, as a parent, grandparent, cousin, or something like that, maybe have a special necklace or something around the person's neck uh, with the cord or something that's uh, kind of loud that says they might have autism or something like that. Maybe a bracelet besides a, a, alert, a medical alert bracelet that stands out quite a bit. Wonderful. And I did not, I didn't have the time to research what the police can actually do, but that is wonderful, Michael, that to your point, the St. Louis Police Department are committed and involved to the point to where they actually want to make sure that they are knowledgeable of autism and are prepared for any contact that they might have with an autistic person. Yeah, we're we're so excited to work with them and uh, look forward to it. That's definitely uh, something that's very important to us. All right. Wonderful. And so to, to remain true to my audience, before we move on to the segment three and the final segment, I just got to ask you guys what you because I asked all my students and they have to answer either the fourth, fifth, sixth, eighth or 14th Amendment, because those are due process rights. In regard to autistic people, is there a particular constitutional right that you think that police, you would really like police to be uh, attached to or agree with, more open with? and more direct at accepting when it comes to autistic people. The Fourth Amendment deals with search and seizure. 
The Fifth Amendment deals with self-incrimination, where a person cannot self-incriminate themselves. Sixth Amendment deals with having an attorney. Eighth, cruel and unusual punishment. Is there a particular one that you would hope that police would purposely prescribe to if they ever stop someone that has autism or is autistic? I would believe the eighth, because cruel and unusual punishment, sometimes because the way that autistic people cannot project their conversations and, and answer questions directly, that one might be the most beneficial. Michael, what do you think? Yeah, you know, I, I agree with Angela, because a lot of times the person with autism cannot communicate their feelings. So a lot of times those are expressed through actions like the repetitive behaviors or they might lash out, you know. It's only because they are not able to communicate their, their feelings in that moment. So, yeah, I, I definitely would, uh, you know, agree with, with Angela in, in regards to that. All right. Excellent. All right. The final segment, segment three, being a voice for change. To stay true to my audience, I want to keep this segment in, but I want to try again to tailor it to autism. As adults who grew up in a predominantly white America, what say Angela and Michael about white supremacy and Black Lives Matter? And before you answer, according to Dr. Tasha Oswald, many of her high-functioning autistic clients are very empathetic, compassionate, law-abiding. They are discriminated against by their employers, driven by a sense of fairness and justice, and therefore are drawn to the Black Lives Movement or things like the Black Lives Movement. What say you, Michael? Well, I, let, let me just start with our, with our mission statement. Okay. And, and you'll understand what I'm saying. Autism Speaks is dedicated to creating an inclusive world for all individuals with autism throughout their lifespan. I mean, I think that that says a lot right there in that we want in inclusivity regardless of race or religion or age or whatever. We want to create, what we're trying to do is we're trying to create a world where all people with autism can just basically reach their full potential because there's a lot of potential that these individuals can offer. And uh, we just want to be accepted. We want to, you had mentioned acceptance before. It is, it, that's important to us. But basically, one of the terms we use a lot here at Autism Speaks is quality of life. We want to provide quality of life. And that, again, that's where these funds that are being raised through the walk that we're doing this Saturday come back to the organization to provide quality of life, not only for those individuals, but for those families. Wonderful, my man. Wonderful. Angie, is there anything that you would add to that? Um, just like Michael said, inclusivity. And we know that Black Lives Matter was basically founded on inclusivity. So I agree with all that he has said. All right. Wonderful. Okay. I'll ask everybody that comes on the podcast, if you have <laughs> one thing that you could ask the Biden administration or that you would like to see the Biden administration accomplish, and you can tailor it to autism if you like. What is the one thing that you would like to see the Biden administration accomplish, beginning with you, Angela? I would like to see the Biden administration uh, give more funds to research for autism. Wonderful. Michael? Yeah, I, I agree. I'm, one of, one of, the, of our priorities as an organization is advocacy 
we we're constantly in Jefferson City lobbying for the rights of individuals and families uh, on the spectrum, as well as ca- we have a capital. We have a, we call it Hill Day, but we actually there's a group of individuals that get together from across the country and go to Washington D.C. and and lobby on behalf of of folks with autism. So I would say the same thing. I said we need more monies to not only support these families, these individuals, but, you know, more money for research and therapies that, that, again, go back to that quality of life. Wonderful. Awesome, guys. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, what autism is, how autism is related to mental health, preparation of an autistic person for police contact, Police involvement with autistic people, constitutional rights related to autism, and how to make America a better place to live. Until next time, keep living your best life. God bless and Godspeed. 